I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. I've been thinking about something, and on one level, it just feels like a giant relief. Um, it feels like maybe I might be growing up. Um, Perish the thought. I've been thinking about falling out of love with franchises lately. The The moment where you realize that something isn't for you, that you may have in your 20s railed against it, but now you're just kind of like, okay, I'm just walking away. Um I think there's a couple franchises simultaneously I'm realizing that I'm walking away from. And it, I'll start with one I probably have the least amount to say about, which is uh, The Walking Dead, which is a show that I've watched for a really long time. And I've fallen like two seasons behind it. And I've always had in the back of my head the desire to sort of catch up on it, to go back to it. And, and it's both that and its spinoff show, Fear the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And I think I just finally admitted to myself I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to go back and watch that. And I'm not sad about it. I'm not upset about it. I'm just kind of cool with that, that maybe this just isn't for me anymore. And it's not like it got really terrible. It felt like it just hit an end point. And I think part of it was the Walking Dead comic ended in pretty spectacular fashion. Are you familiar with Greg with how the, the comic book ended? No, but I'm apparently the one guy in comics fandom that really doesn't like The Walking Dead. It's just not for me. I'm not a zombie guy. I'm a vampire guy. I'm all over the Dracula franchise. You're on You're on Team Edward, then? Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, no, you are. And so, Speaking of Robert Pattinson I, pleasuring himself. Yeah, um, I so, but I think, Greg, you would appreciate the way The Walking Dead comic ended. Not mm-hmm. just in the story, but in the way that the book itself, as a thing that's created by Robert Kirkham and Charlie Adler, ended. Um, he didn't announce that the last issue was coming out until the week that that issue was coming out and that he had commissioned Charlie Adler, the artist of the book, to make three fake covers for upcoming issues. Whoa. Mm. Oh, because so, they have to submit to Diamond three months in advance Three something? months in advance, yeah. so you have to release that stuff, and he wanted it to be a big surprise. So um, it wasn't until that week, and so the book ended, and it does what I kind of have learned that I really like in an ending – I don't know if you guys are are into this, but I kind of love what they what you could refer to as an epilogue ending, where the last issue or the last episode jumps far ahead and lets you look back at the series from yeah, a, like Why the Last Man had a really great epilogue ending. Too. Yeah, Why the Last yeah. Man, uh, The Good Place, which is an amazing TV show, just ended. It has had an epilogue ending where it jumps ahead a bit, and you get to see um, a where this series and these characters are going over a longer period of time. Um, Six Feet Under has an epilogue That's ending. That's true, yep. So I'm a big fan of epilogue endings. Uh, the Walking Dead did one where it jumps ahead like 30 years, and we're kind of at this point in the story, and I'm going to spoil this right now, but I fucking love it, and it's great. And maybe if you're a lapsed reader, it may make somebody want to go back and finish it. But it takes place after we've kind of mostly mopped up the zombie apocalypse that the civilization is starting to come back. Uh, Carl, who's been a child and a teenager for most of the series, is now a middle-aged man who 
isn't really kind of comfortable with that many people around. So he's um, like a delivery guy, a mail carrier who kind of lives in a fairly remote cabin and then gets on a horse cart and brings stuff far away. We're at the point in the history where the civilizations on the West Coast and the East Coast are about to meet again by, you know, connecting our railroad lines. And uh, what ends up happening is one day a zombie wanders. There aren't that many of them left. They're still around, and a lot of young people have never seen one. <laughs> a, wa- a zombie wanders onto Carl's land, and he kills it because it's what you do, except that zombie belongs to Herschel, who was uh, Maggie and Glenn's son, who's now in his 20s. And uh, he runs like a traveling show where people can see a zombie up close. And he was negligent and one of his zombies got out of the cage. (laughs) And now he is suing Carl in court for killing his property. And Carl's like, you know, fuck you. I'm not paying for that. That's what you do to those things. And it goes to basically their equivalent of the Supreme Court. So it's a court case is the last issue of The Walking Dead. Wow. And it's pretty great. Um, I like stuff like that where there's sort of a look back on, hey, there was a series of maybe 10 to 20 years that the civilization went to shit. Well, the next generation had one of those. I don't mean Picard. I mean all good things. I yeah. mean the actual concluding episode. So, but you're comfortable with this because you got a satisfying ending to the story and you don't care about the spinoffs. They're not, they're inferior works to the original, yeah, right? See, yeah, That, that makes doesn't... sense. You can say, you can say no to the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, that's great, but it doesn't speak to your point at all. Yeah, that's well, not falling out of love with a franchise. You got a satisfying ending. You were well, satisfied. It ended. Oh, it ended. You're, you're, you've moved on. And I think because I got that with the comic, it is mm. so easy for me to walk away from the TV show. Mm. And not just because I know I can't get a similar ending because they've killed enough of the characters or people have left the show. Because mm-hmm. you're an actor. You're not a drawing. You're going to want to do other things after a while. And Andrew Lincoln, the guy who played um, played Rick. Rick Grimes, the lead of that show, left, and now they're going to have to find a way to continue without him. And without him there, it's impossible to kind of go towards that Carl ending because Carl is dead in the show. But again, I guess I, guess I just got to that point where I'm like, I, you know, you got to force feed yourself stuff as a nerd that mm-hmm. you tell you you liked it at one point, you got excited about it at one point, but you don't really get excited about it anymore. And you get a lot of them, a lot of people turn to the dark side and kind of get angry about that moment. Well, this is an outgrowth, you know, you named this years ago. And Stop I, hitting I, yourself. I, I built a column around it. It's a nerd reflex. Yeah. It yeah. is one of many nerd reflexes is this idea that if you like something, if you you are a fan of a franchise, you are in effect married to it, and you can't leave it without a big painful divorce. Yeah, only nerds think that way. It's just a TV show. Ma- maybe yeah. nerds and sports fans. I can see there, there might be a similar might be a similar thing where you would you I'm put sorry. so much of yourself into a well, team. I think as a team though, you can back away from it for several years, and it's cyclical enough that it's not like with comic book fans where you go back and you're like, are we still doing fucking stories about Magneto in the post-apocalypse? <laughs> it's like there's a point where by the necessity of biology, athletes will retire, and it'll be a completely new team at some point. Well, couldn't you say the same thing about the the writer and artist combos who are doing the whatevereth iteration of Spider-Man. That's true, but we have a tendency to recreate things that have already been made. Like I mentioned with X-Men is that it's like everyone is kind of following the beats of Chris Claremont, even though Chris Claremont isn't there anymore. Mm. Let's do our version of Days of Future Past, our version of Dark Phoenix, our version of a Sentinel story, 
Well, this is, again, this is a thing that nerds fall into is, or nerds, fans, mm-hmm. f- fanatical devotees fall into this thing of, I want the thing that I love. I want the thing that I fell in love with, but I've seen it a thousand times. So I want you to do it again, but do it different. But do it not different enough. Don't, don't go too far. Yeah. See, because when they really- Good cover song, right. When they really do it differently, there is such an outpouring of rage. The Last Jedi is a great example. They changed it too much in people's minds. They Uh weren't respectful enough of specific tropes and and lore that had built up. Oh my God. Well- And people lost it. You you are old enough. Casey, you- probably were around for this when the green lantern reboot happened they killed hal jordan they brought in this yeah. new guy i mean that Kyle was rainer new. yeah and it i was, was on oh. board for that but oh my god they People went nuts lost their shit there was an organization that came about because of that the h-e-a-t heat Hal's um, Emerald Attack Team? And the, yeah, <laughs> <What>? something. <laughs> Hal's Emerald Advancement Team, and it and it grew into a thing where they were buying like $5,000 full, pa- $5, full page ads and stuff. Yeah. And and the guy, the poor schlup that got stuck with writing the book, a very nice man named Ron Mars, who is actually a very fine writer. Um, we've spoken about it. We actually spoke about this at a convention once or twice. And I said, you know, at first I was angry, but I, you know, it worked. I'm reading Green Lantern again. And I haven't been. And you're doing pretty good with it. I'm okay with it. The other thing that Ron Mars is famous for is writing the original woman in a refrigerator that the trope is named after. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that was like right right at the beginning of his Green Lantern run. Yeah, it was like a one-two punch. It's like, oh, he fucked over Hal Jordan. Now he's fridging women. This, this man's a monster. You know, which is funny because he really is a very nice man and he's just as big a geek about things hmm. as but we yeah, are. We kind of bonded over John Carter. The but, rage over well, uh, the Hal Jordan treatment and, and the change of that book, is it lasted for years. and it, Years. Can and, we say that the genesis of this effect, though, is the people who, uh, in anticipation of Star Trek II, had the whole media campaign about don't or bring back Spock? Yeah, because this seems like the first really fully organized brigading that ended up happening, where oh, yeah. they they changed the the ship of state was turned. Oh yeah, based on fan, found outrage. But I mean, in, when- in that sense, I think it, in that case, I think it was probably just better for the the series and the franchise in general that. Leonard Nimoy didn't just say, like, fuck this, I'm not going to play Spock ever again. Obviously, yeah. there was a lot of good shit that came after. I mean, obviously. Well, they, they yeah, put a, but the, yeah. The, that was not the result of fans. That was the result of, you know, they weren't going to get Nimoy back at all. He had a bad taste in his mouth from Star Trek, the motion picture. He wasn't going to do it again. And Harv Bennett lured him back by saying, how about if you die? It was the, it was the Heston trick. Yeah. Right? The Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes trick. Right. And uh, and he came back for it, and he had so much fun on Wrath of Khan that he was looking forward to the next one. That's when the scramble started, when he casually mm. mentioned that, you know, Plus, I'll you can back. direct this time. Yeah. He was, as soon as they realized they could get him back, that was when the frantic dog paddling began. Because I remember that there was a rumor that the, the rumor of Spock dying in Star Trek II got out before the movie did. And there that's was some, true. Yeah. And it did start a lot of fan rage. And I think that's why they rewrote it for the big uh, simulator misdirect in the beginning. Yeah. So oh, everybody oh, would everybody would go and say, oh, this is what leaked. You guys are all just stupid. Because he actually, <laughs> Kirk actually looks at him and says, aren't you dead? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that being a, a bit of a joke that they could throw in there. It, it's, uh-huh. it's a great Great way of, of 
kind of making them not look at the man behind the curtain and, you know, getting sucked up in the movie. It's weird though, because you get that kind of outrage and it's the same kind of outrage that came at the Heath Ledger Joker, which is that people freak the fuck out at that first image of the Heath Ledger Joker. Oh my God, this is not the Joker. This is blah, blah, blah. And then like two years later, nobody remembers being angry about it because it became oh, the Are you favorite. kidding? Are you kidding? I, when I, at Comic Book Resources, I used to be the moderator of the film and television board. You poor, poor son of a bitch. And and I have seen this, or I have two words for you, organic web shooters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, wasn't that, wasn't that a Sam Raimi script? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It was, it was the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which turned out to be a monster hit that everybody loved and felt like it was, you know, really the real, at last, really Spider-Man. It's like, really? Because six months ago you were saying it was raping your childhood and uh, da 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 Nerds have always been really good with boundaries for their feelings. Yeah. I I have, I think uh, this is in the shadow of my memory but i believe that's the first time that i ever visited cbr was to read that part about people being upset about the these the scene in sam raimi's original spider-man script where i but this might be apocryphal where peter parker has a wet dream oh. essentially he wakes oh, up and that his was cameron he's, cameron's treatment oh was it yeah and he wakes up and he's like he spurted some, some juice some web juice on his Sheets, yeah. I guess. I don't know. No, that James. It was in, no. It's not. It's in the treatment. I've read it. Oh, James it? Cameron's Spider-Man treatment has a thing. It's like a footnote where this is a metaphor. For <laughs> and and I'm reading this and going, Mr. Cameron, this is not. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about this. I this mean- this is not right. Yeah. And and for some reason, comic book fans and this is we've talked about the Adam West fight before. This mm-hmm. is like trying to they're all out to prove something to yeah. who? Because you know, I don't know. Because I'll tell you yeah. this: those people don't care. No, of course they don't. And care. nothing you are going to say is going to prove them wrong. No, <laughs> it's but like, I mean, but we live in a fundamentally different world, and this is, I think. Mike, I will never forget this. Lots of things about you that I'll never forget. But the oh, first no. Radio versus the Martians episode that we had was about Star Trek. It was this was our first mm-hmm. panel, and you made you there was an anecdote about I believe it was Lucy Lawless going on a panel at the San Diego Comic Con. Um, ma- no, making no. a someone had to apologize. Or no, something. it was it was uh, Jennifer Garner. Oh, Jennifer. It Garner. was a story that you told once. Yeah, it's about Electra. Was it about Electra? Some. Because it was such a Electra re- terrible Electra um, when Electra was uh, coming out, and remember this is a sort of a sequel, a spinoff of right. Daredevil. Yep. Jennifer Garner was supposed to go to San Diego, and she couldn't go. And I saw this because it was included as an extra on the DVD. She taped a special announcement for them to play at Comic Con that's promotional, and you can see her jitters. She's like, oh, my God, everything rides on this. I can't alienate the audience. (laughs) And there's some line in there about, you'll all be happy to know the costume's red this time. (laughs) Like, that's a deal breaker. Well, I mean. You know, but she says it in the way. uh, It's like a hostage video. (laughs) She says it like like you say, please don't hurt me. Right. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. The idea that they have to kiss the ring, right, is now so prolific that. You have what is the rise of Skywalker, yeah. Which to me, there are so many. We can quibble about what we think the certain decisions are made, but of their decisions to basically expunge whole character arcs and sideline certain things are just to appease 
that vocal part of the audience who says because because hey we need to make a movie for uh the left and the right uh as as but as I crazy think, as it is and yeah. what what ends up from that is a fucking mess it's a gar it's it's gar i've said this before i just the recorded bit came out on ryan daly's give me those star wars podcast where yeah. i do refer to it as a garbage movie um but the best thing somebody came up with for rise of skywalker is a screenshot at the end that says written and directed by and they just changed it so it says reddit <laughs> 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 and it really does. It feels yeah. somebody. I think it was um, Matt Myra, who's like a stand-up comic and podcaster, had the best description of Rise of Skywalker as saying it's like watching somebody else play a video game and skip all the cutscenes. Mm. It really feels like it never wants to stop or do it. It's just like, how do we make as many people happy with as much nostalgia fan service as we can? And let's not worry about the movie being about anything. Let's not worry about carrying over character arcs. Let's just keep moving, keep moving. Stuff is happening, not letting any of it have any weight or feeling. And at the end of it, you feel like you've gone through a really like expensive like theme park ride where at right. the end, right. nothing – Nothing seems to have stuck. I've seen that movie. I re I can remember plot points that I read on the internet, but I can't remember any moments of that movie because it just feels like it exists only in my short term memory. Yeah, I mean that, and that's that's part that's partly J.J. Abrams. But I mean, I was using that as an example to illustrate that we are not only past the point of you know Jennifer Garner needing the you know the collective Comic Con sort of block to kiss the ring for you to be a legitimate entrant into this franchise and now where like they're st stepping on eggshells but again that the, the rise of skywalker thing the stuff that i find was probably the most damaging is not anything to the lore not anything to the characters these aren't real people but it felt like it was almost like a capitulation to the worst parts of the internet going oh you don't like that you know the ray is a quote-unquote mary sue and so let's have a lengthy training sequence oh you don't like uh, Rose Tico and you hounded her off the internet, let's cut her out of most of the movie. Oh, you don't like this reveal? Oh, we'll undo it. Oh, you don't like um, the, the way that we treated Luke Skywalker in the last movie? Let's treat him like a completely different character. And it felt not like artistic decisions, but like trying to calm a mob down by giving them what they want. And here's the irony. That never works yeah everybody was pissy about the rise of skywalker as soon as it had been theaters 48 hours everybody was like old hat fan service you know seen this it's like what what the fuck do you want no they, <laughs> this they is don't what want you anything. asked for yeah they don't there's just this i i have had to explain this to my 12 year old students that have been you know witnesses to it at a comic convention there's just this free-floating ball of fan anger and it's like a recreational drug for these people. Yeah. It just gets them lit up. But it also gets clicks on the internet that it's actually yeah. something you can monetize. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. That, that's got to be, I mean, that's part of it, I think, is part of it, I think, is the uh, the collective sort of, uh, the collective unconscious, unconscious of fa franchise fans and how they react to things that, how they react to change, how especially different generations, when you, when you have progressed beyond the target audience for that medium and new people come in to try to make something different this is inevitably will end up happening but um this was the 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 JJ Abrams Star Trek movie being marketed as not your father's Star Trek right? exactly this, but this is just this is happens this just happens yeah but it doesn't really speak to Mike's point of falling out of love with a franchise sure. and and here is what I the point I was going to make is fandoms have literally made me fall out of love 
with a franchise. Sometimes yeah. fan behavior is so awful that, you know, Buffy and Angel are like my my examples of this. Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Angel the spinoff series, when I was at CBR being the film and TV moderator, I used to dread Wednesday mornings because I knew I would log on and there would be a riot in progress over how Joss Whedon had <laughs> had violated the fan community the night before Tuesday nights Buffy and Angel would air in sequence and inevitably it was as inevitable as the sunrise it's Rage like that episode would of ensue remember that episode of Star Trek where what was it was it festival yeah where the evil computer that runs a planet <laughs> makes everyone kill each other for a few hours yeah it's like that yeah it's it's just it's so fucking tiring because like, you know what I really hate being is angry I, I don't, it, it's it's by its nature it's really unpleasant it means I'm not happy yeah. why would you just embrace that I, I feel I like don't you're know. you're pro you're prodding this beast because and I don't I do not want to spend more minutes doing this but I will say that I stopped watching Star Trek Picard and this was really hard because it was like. TNG and Picard as a character especially was like that's my jam like that's as far as fandom is concerned that's probably the first thing that I was a fan fan of and um I'm not I'm not going to go I'm not going to but I don't want to petition change.org for them to oust Alex Kurtzman I don't By want the way, to change.org is the biggest placebo <laughs> website yes. that exists I, I don't want to I don't want to you know employ lots of uh, bots running in eastern europe to try to brigade Rotten Tomatoes rating engines. I don't want to do any of that. And uh, now I just, I'm, I'm just, I release the amount of time and frustration that I have over watching something that doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel upset. And now I'm just going to go and find other things to do with yeah. my time. And, you and know that's what? what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't mean that I maybe wouldn't be interested if they make a fourth Star Trek movie because I'd certainly go and see it. Um, but, but I'm just, I'm done with that part. I'm done with it. So am I. That's, that's kind of what I wanted to get to is that I felt that way with Star Wars recently. Star Wars is another franchise that I realized that whatever they're going to make, it's probably not going to make me happy. And I should just make peace with that. I'm, I mean, I think that Disney definitely is going to try to make as much money as they can in fan service and sort of childhood firing that nostalgia button. That's kind of what they do. And that 99% of the time, what they're going to do is not going to make me happy. I love The Last Jedi, but I always have to admit, you know, it's a bit of a fluke that that movie exists. I like The Mandalorian well enough, but aside from another season of The Mandalorian, I'm happy just kind of let Star Wars go. I'm not going to get emotionally invested. You're not going to go out and buy the Rise of Skywalker novelization so you can figure out what... Re what Kylo Ren whispered to Ray, or we want all this multimedia to fix the movie oh, yeah. for us oh, and yeah. go. Oh well, the they answer this, and it's like, of course they do because you, you don't want to buy the Knights of Ren book series. <laughs> it's like this is a, a two hour, it's like a two and a half hour movie, and you couldn't fit all that stuff in there. So really, what you're doing, you're not fixing it. It's another author who has a medium, like say a novel, where they have way more space to play in, who's going to go. You know what? That kind of sucked. I'm going to fix that. And that's what you do. I mean, it's fine. But I'm not going to act as if this fixes the movie. The movie still is not something that's for me. And the fact that other writers are fixing it in novels and comics proves that that thing was flawed. Because <laughs> they're coming in to patch it up. It's kind of in a lot of ways what the, the animated Clone Wars show was all about. Was mm. It was about patching up the prequel movies. Because, you know, people love that. But they're not like, this doesn't, this doesn't make somebody like Attack of the Clones. They just want to watch animated 
Anakin Skywalker as a cartoon. And you know what? That's fine. It is fine if you find a thing that makes you happy, but it's like with Star Wars, I'm just kind of like, I don't think I'm a Star Wars fan anymore. And I think fandom, like you mentioned, Greg, is a big part of it because it's just a fucking mess. It's like, why would I ever want to walk into that on purpose? Well, the the immersive nature of it can be really tempting. And I know people who have fallen down the fandom rabbit hole where it's not even about the thing anymore. It's about the culture the that tribe. has sprung up around it. Yeah. And and it, it's very factional and quarrelsome. And it the especially when we were at CBR, it turned into a its own thing. It was a beast. Yeah. Did, did I and, think I've told this story on the show before, but I, the guy I referred to as Ant-Man's lawyer, uh-huh. <laughs> um, he came on because Dan Slott, who was writing uh, She-Hulk at the time, and I was moderating the Hulk board for mm-hmm. uh, CBR. And this guy came on and he just needed to vent his spleen about the injustice that had been done to Scott Lang Ant-Man in the pages of She-Hulk. And, you know, it's we should be excited that a, a writer of a book that's under the umbrella of this board wants to interact with us personally and is excited. And I will say <laughs> Dan Slott is a goddamn saint. The well, patience he showed with this guy, who's basically acting as if he is Ant-Man's legal uh, defense. And is like, how dare you, sir? And it's like, what are we on fucking crossfire here? <laughs> it's like, why do you want to scream at this guy? And we kind of chased him off. But it's like, oh, God, I hope he didn't chase away Dan Slott was my thought. And I'm like, this is... This seems to be just – it's not even a bug in the system. It's an inevitability of the system. Yeah, I know. I always was uh, – you say you were excited. I was always kind of horrified and frightened. You don't want them to be Dan, Dave Sim? I, I, yeah. No, no. It's not that. I don't want them to be swarmed like your guy was. Oh, uh, you know, whenever Kurt Busick or somebody would come by the boards and be gracious, I was always just like, oh, God, oh, God. Please, please let this not blow up. Please let this not blow up. And of course, it always blew up. And there were there were writers. I will not name them, but there were pros at nerds will always break your heart. Oh yeah, and there were pros who would drop by CBR just just to be assholes, just to stir it up, just just to poke the bear, just because they could. Mm-hmm. It's like and, it's and, like having having a child with an emotional regulation problems in the middle of a fancy restaurant, right? Is you're probably just praying that this yeah. is not the time that you have a meltdown. I know. But see, the the <laughs> trouble is when the, the fandom actually colors your affection for the thing. And it took me quite a while to come back around to appreciate Buffy and Angel, which are really pretty good shows. Those are, you know, they were very tight genre pieces that played with a lot of uh, cool interesting ideas the uh the the one that i always come back to with buffy is the parallels between high school and horror movie cliches that's hmm. the the engine that drives that thing hmm. and i don't know how you guys remember high school i do not remember it fondly uh, <laughs> and uh, does it, anybody it, uh, half a step away from a horror movie and for joss whedon <laughs> to just go ahead and say yeah let's make it a horror movie that sure. was very clever um but uh Oh god! I think I, I probably would have enjoyed high school more if there were monsters, because there would have been a chance that certain people who tormented me would have died. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, the the thing of it is, is that uh, you know we rule the world now, but the same defensiveness that we were bringing to everything in high school still seems to run fandom, and I don't really know what that's about. Nobody nobody seems willing to enjoy the the fruits of victory. I mean, I think it's I think it sucks that the teenagers that are coming up now that are discovering they might be discovering Condor Man, or the teenagers that 
mm-hmm. couldn't have cared about Spider-Man until they saw something as amazing as Into the Spider-Verse are now sort of leeching in themselves into a, a scenario where they've got 55-year-old and man, Trump- man children yelling at them because but it's not the real I want yeah, to believe you know. with a lot of things that the next generation is better than we are. Um, I think that no, uh, I want to. <laughs> yeah. no, they, they just funding their own factions so they can be pretty much. Warriors, yeah, the, the, let's put it this way: the Bronies are doing now what Ant Man's lawyer was doing twenty five years ago. Oh, God. Bronies? You yeah. mean the My Little Pony? Yeah, fa- ultra fans. I like how a uh, show that that has the the tagline "Friendship is Magic" is spawning <laughs> some of the nastiest fucking people. Uh, just like it's like the worst ambassadors you could have for what should be the friendliest group of fans that you get. But you know what? I have met extreme right wing Star Trek fans, so I don't even fucking know what's going on with the world anymore. I, I was talking to uh, Chris Hambrick. You've heard me talk about the Hello Earth Star Trek in the Park company mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Julie and I volunteer with. Chris um, is the co-founder of that theater company, and she played uh, Captain Kirk, and then she played Luke Skywalker in the Wars Outdoors <laughs> stuff that we're doing. Now. Oh God, that's a, those are those are dream jobs. <laughs> I know, and uh, and it's her dream job, and she's having a good time. But occasionally, she runs a toxic fandom on the internet, and she's just kind of appalled and horrified. And I was telling her this, you know, there there was a group. Um, and they actually got a book deal. They wrote a book called Star Trek Lives, and they were absolutely convinced that Gene Roddenberry based Star Trek on Ayn Rand. Oh. Absolutely, absolutely convinced. Because, of course, the moneyless diplomat society where, you know, everybody works at what they want to and it's a utopia is completely what Ayn Rand had. Sure, yeah, this, Star Trek is all about selfishness, really. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, of all the ideologies that ex- exist in the world, I I might even say that even maybe I I don't know. This is maybe a super hot take. Maybe even worse than fascism is objectivism because it it's like it it may be one of the worst ideas we have ever had. You're like, okay, you know that stuff that makes me an asshole. That actually makes me the best person. <laughs> it is it is just yeah. the most toxic thing, and it's hopefully a thing that most people grow out of eventually. Eventually. Because you have some kind of economic hardship at some point in your life, and you go, oh, wait, a bunch of people helped me. Maybe I shouldn't be a dick and build a world where they would have left me to starve. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, there's the great old John Rogers quote about that. You must have heard this. All right. John Rogers is the guy that created uh, the Jaime, uh, uh, what's his name? Jaime Reyes? The Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. He uh, he created the show Leverage. He worked mm. on the librarian movies with Noah Wiley. He's a very br- bright guy. Mm. Um, and he, he has this great quote. He says, there are two books that transform the lives yes. of every high school student ever. One is The Lord of the Rings and the other is Atlas Shrugged. One is a movie that has a completely unbelievable, unrealistic fantasy world and the other one has orcs. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it's true. It's um, true. Um, I think that when somebody says that they're really into Ayn Rand, I, you know, a lot of people would be horrified, but I'm actually relieved because I know from this point forward, this is a person that I don't need to take seriously. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, it, like, it's like I listened to Art Bell last night. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a it's Sorry. like a, a reverse shibboleth where you <laughs> yeah. just go. It's like a bumper sticker that lets me go. Okay, I'm just going to avoid the confrontation <laughs> with this person and yeah. not engage. Pretty much, yeah. It's just not worth it. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Dorn, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield-Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Have a seat, Tim. Twiglet? I better not. I was like you once. Blonde hair, scraggy little beard, childlike ears, full of beans and spunk. I let my principles get in the way sometimes. I punched a bloke in the face once for saying Hawk the Slayer was rubbish. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. But that's not the point, Tim. The point is, I was defending the fantasy genre with terminal intensity, when what I should have said is, Dad, you're right. Well, let's give Krull a try, and we'll discuss it later. The Phantom Menace was 18 months ago, Tim. I know, Bilbo. Okay, just, it still hurts. You know, that kid wanted a Jar Jar doll. Kids like Jar Jar. Why? What about the Ewoks, Hey, They were rubbish. You don't complain about them. Yeah, but Jar Jar Binks makes the Ewoks look like fucking Shaft. I've had enough, Tim. But Bilbo... Look, I know how you feel, right? I really do. But this can't go on. What are you trying to say, Bilbo? I'm gonna have to let you go. Phew! <laughs> I thought you were gonna fire me then. I was like... Phew! <laughs> Look at that.